0: Hi everybody, this is John from the Barstool Historian Podcast with a brief friendly programming note. In this episode, we profile a handful of the most abhorrent, the most revolting people of all time. And as a result, we're going to be discussing some fairly unpleasant and unsettling things. So I will take a page from the NPR playbook and say that this program is not appropriate for younger and more sensitive listeners. For those of you who are new listeners, boy, you've really picked an interesting place to start listening to the show. And for those of you who are longtime listeners and to our friends and our family who would expect more in the way of taste and maturity from us, I'm sorry. Oh, this also happens to be our longest episode ever by far, so this should be an interesting experience. So without further ado, here's the show. Drug taking dictators, incontinent secret agents, and murderous duchesses. We examine the absolute dregs of humanity in this episode of The Barstool Historian. From New York, New York, and Geneva, Illinois, the Sodom and Gomorrah of modern times, the sister cities of sin. This is the Barstool Historian podcast, broadcasting from the Lion's Arms Tavern, our digital tap room, where the past is our playground. This is John sitting on the New York end of the bar. With me, as always, is Tim. Hello, Tim. Hello, man. And over there on the Geneva, Illinois side of the bar is Ed. Hello, Ed. Salut! <laughs> always with the French. Always with the French. Uh, anyway, it's been uh, a few weeks since our last episode. It is now early Fe- February. We've just celebrated our birthday month of January, when all three of us have our birthdays. And, birthday um, month. Birthday month. We make a whole month of it, and it's always around this type of time of year that I, I always feel a little reflective. And I couldn't help just taking a stroll down memory lane uh, when I uh, ordered a belated birthday present for Tim <laughs> last week. And I'm going to put Tim on the spot and, and just ask you, Tim, what did you receive in the mail uh, last week? Well, I received
1: the basic fantasy role-playing game, which is a, um, a streamlined version of Dungeons and Dragons, which is near and dear to our hearts here at the Barstool Historian. Um, And it's uh, quite accessible. uh, And it also looks a little like a grade school textbook, which (laughs) caused some problems in my house, actually.
2: John, (laughs) John, do you know what I I received for my birthday from
0: you? Uh, It would be nothing. So oh, I can't, I can't I'm, believe, I'm, I'm, I'm I can't believe the that, mail carrier. Uh, the mail carriers are so. I mean, they didn't bring. I'm glad the, all uh, our
2: listeners know <laughs> who you play favorites with. No, but this. Not is Not even cla- a twenty sided die. This is the
1: classic. <laughs> uh, this is the classic college philosophy paper where you turn in the blank page and get an A. What John is saying <laughs> is that your mere, his mere friendship. Is the riches of life.
0: Happy yes. birthday, Ed! Yes. <laughs> like you're and, lucky and, and to be the, friends the, with and me. The, the 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 reality is is that I I wrote a haiku for you. <laughs> and right. it's, well, it's I'm, I'm glad it's very we're recording special. now and, and, when you, you and, can uh, and, recite and, it. Can I recite it? Um, yeah, sure. Sure. Vampires <laughs> run circles around the. Round track. <laughs> oh, John. In all our hearts. There we go.
1: John, you stole that from Yoko Ono, didn't you?
0: <laughs> we did. That was so, the original had a was sh- uh, very had a enduring. lot more shrieking and guttural. Uh, <laughs> Gutter old moans <laughs> uh,
1: so wait let me let me complete the story uh Colleen accidentally included this book on the way out to work in the morning uh, in her bag uh, thinking that it was just one of the 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 fifth grade textbooks that she had laying around and um, because she works every night very diligently and um, so uh, I got a text. Uh, later that morning uh, asking me what this basic fantasy role playing game was <laughs> and, and begging me to please tell the truth that it's mine because she thought some <laughs> strange stalker slipped it in her bag. Um, and I said, no, no worries there, Colleen. It's just uh, John's birthday present. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, and, but- and it's re- it's really fantastic. I mean, there, there's some great stuff in here and John John pointed out the thing that, of course, we both zeroed in on, which is the the cartoon depiction of uh, the vampire monster, who I think looks like Rocky Balboa if he turned into a vampire, but John thinks it's uh, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, just Nicolas Cage <laughs> as is. <laughs> uh,
0: that's totally... You know what, John? You are right as usual. The connection here, this is where, you know, our shared personal histories intersect here this version that you have tim um of dungeons and dragons is basically the early 80s version of dungeons and dragons as a a young kid that i knew and it was the one we we passed around in the back in the back of the school bus but fast forward to like around 1990 and I I was in uh, young Ed Gustafson's basement with a bunch of other 14-year-olds playing advanced Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> for yeah. the very first time. Smarter than regular <laughs> Dungeons & Dragons. More And advanced. this is all I remember of it. conversation's like this. Duh, no, you can't. The prerequisite uh, uh, ability score for the uh, the thief <laughs> is this. Duh, no, you can't. It was like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for a good hour and m- my theory is that this was this was some sort of uh, of preparation for your future lives as lawyers <laughs> because the advanced dungeons and dragons books were like how many pages were there total 500 pages yeah oh yeah i think infinite in, yeah i think in terms of complexity it it made the justinian code look like the instructions to Candyland. Well, Blah. now it all makes sense because my
1: my D&D name was Sir Timothy the Litigation. So,
0: <laughs> uh, so there you go. Well, uh, anyway, I couldn't help just... Starting off with that diversion, <laughs> but this episode was inspired not by this role-playing game, but by an article that Tim sent, I'm sorry, not Tim, an article that Ed sent us a few weeks God,
2: ago. God, like miss my birthday? Miss, I know, I can't the wrong guy. God, <laughs> you you gotta, this, g- gotta do better, man. <laughs> I,
0: it's been a tough week. Um, <laughs> no, Ed sent us an article about a singularly disgusting uh, human being, historical character, um, whose story is going? Ed's going to share with you today, and it's going to blow your mind. Um, and I read that article on my phone on the subway, which is my daily reminder of how horrible human beings can be. So in that kind of misanthropic mood, uh, I suggested uh, that this episode be about the worst people, some of the worst examples of, of humankind uh, that we could find. And so... expecting ourselves, of course. <laughs> so expect more classic uh, barstool historian, rogues gallery of freaks type characters in this episode. But uh, yeah, so that's one tradition is complaining about the subway. And I'll move on to one of our, another show t- traditions, which is talking about what we're drinking right now. Oh. Tim, why don't you start off with talking about
1: what you're drinking? Well, I'm drinking a single malt that I've never had before. This is the Glenlivet Founders Reserve. Um, and I think this is a fairly <clears throat> new line for them, but it's quite clean. It has a nice a pale gold color. Uh, it, 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 it's it, The immediate effect on the nose is uh, <laughs> citrusy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think Tell us more I just You know what I just thought of that character That we talked about uh, In past In the past podcasts the, the man whose nose fell off I can't remember Oh uh,
0: Tycho Bray
1: Right That's um, right. And on the palate It's got notes of uh, Of orange And vanilla It's uh, It's quite good So And it has a nice creamy finish So I highly
0: recommend it Sounds amazing Ed What good. about you?
2: Well, I I <laughs> just like to tell Tim that I actually have just gotten a uh, bottle of Glenfargless twenty-one years, Ooh. Uh, but I'm not drinking it tonight. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Have to come and sample it yourself. Have a I live, would love uh, to do that. Barstool historian in uh, Geneva. But uh, I actually am. I'm gonna do a twofer because I think it would be a, yeah, it's yeah, a little bit fun, more fun to do some more local twofers. Uh, so first of all, I got uh, New Glarus Ufta, and the day I had, <laughs> my dad always used to go Ufta when things were tough, and it <laughs> is a double block, double bak. From New Glarus in uh, Wisconsin. New Glarus, Wisconsin. And it is notorious and famous for only being sold in Wisconsin. In fact, several bars in Chicago have gotten busted and fined for uh, transporting uh, New Glarus across state borders (laughs) and selling it there. And uh, if you think like, oh, and like how much can that little conceit make you? They're the 19th biggest independent brewery in uh, the united states so yeah never under uh, never underestimate wisconsin drinkers the other one i have is from about 10 miles away it's solemn oath brewery and it Mm. is ravaged by vikings so they have a series of viking beers the session beer session ipa is hunted by vikings the uh, IPA is kidnapped by Vikings. The double IPA <laughs> is ravaged by Vikings. And the triple IPA is murdered by Vikings. So you see the whole, you know, train of Viking, you know, murder, maraud, killing. It's excellent. And I'd recommend it
0: to everyone. <laughs> Skull. Well, I also have a, um, a Midwestern brew. I am drinking the Kalamazoo Stout from Bells in Comstock, Michigan. Uh, this is a stout brewed with brewer's licorice, or so it says on the uh, label. But um, I can't really taste the licorice, but this is, a, this is an outstanding stout. Um, I'm not sure I understand the label. And, it, you know, on the subject of kind of creepy illustrations, this is, this is a really creepy one. It, it's like a scowling man. With, uh, it looks like he has a collapsed septum in his nose. It, oh I, I don't know God. what is going on with this thing. <laughs> well, fellows, uh, I was thinking about who some of the uh, most reprehensible people in the uh, history of Hall of Shame were. And for whatever reason, I started to think about the fact that a lot of them are, are in the medical profession. Uh, and it struck me how many famous or powerful wealthy people have had some truly uh, atrocious quacks in their employ and quite often their incompetence led to some fatal results and so of course you're i'm sure you're thinking exactly what i'm thinking of uh, james garfield right <laughs> absolutely james garfield there you go. right I think everybody at home was thinking immediately of James Garfield. Left too soon, <laughs> <laughs> James James Garfield's doctor, Doctor Willard Bliss, who um, treated uh, James Garfield with unwashed fingers, just stuck his fingers into the, the bullet hole right there on the, the railway platform. And uh, if that wasn't bad enough, instead of using real nurses, uh, he just asked the wives of of uh, Garfield's cabinet members to just serve as nurses and they didn't know what they were doing. And, uh, poor James Garfield, you know, uh, passed away and, and who's to know what kind of fantastic heights Garfield would have taken this country had, had he lived.
1: John, that well, sounds I, a lot like the care
0: you received <laughs> from the national health service in uh, that England. was, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And of course, and I think Tim will agree with me here. Um, cause he's the world's biggest Michael Jackson fan. Um, <laughs> that, that pretty much every one of Michael Jackson's doctors was in the pantheon of worst doctors ever. I mean, all those guys who who, who you know said things like, "Yes, Michael, you, your nose does need more contouring." <laughs> they they were charming. They were. I, I gave them milk and cookies. They were charming. <laughs> That's what I was setting you up to do. (laughs) That whole thing was about getting you to to, to do your charming bit. (laughs) But there's one man. There's one man who truly got the horrible doctor that he he truly deserved. And that is Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler had in his employ for nine years a man named Theodore Morell, who was personal physician to de from 1936 to 1945. And you might describe him as somewhat of a Rasputin-like character, not in the way that Rasputin was power-hungry, but in the way that Rasputin was an an immediately, obviously unsavory character who nevertheless earned the trust of people in power because they thought he had some kind of exclusive, some kind of special power or exclusive cure that they needed. Uh, But Theodore Morel. Um, came along at a time where, in the 30s, where Hitler was a man on the rise. He's consolidating absolute control over the the Reich. He has absolute control over everything in Germany except control of his own bowels. (laughs) (laughs) The most powerful man in Europe... And this is documented in several physicians' reports, lengthy <laughs> physicians' reports, which I'm not making this up, have surfaced over the past few years.
2: Wasn't he a vegetarian?
0: Oh, yes, I'm and is, that. is
2: Isn't this a lesson to everyone? Well, Too much la- fiber.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this this is this is true. So Hitler uh, suffered from terrible gastrointestinal problems that went way beyond your your typical irritable bowel syndrome. So chronic indigestion severe stomach cramps, and daily recurring bouts of extreme flatulence to the extent that <laughs> Hitler would have to get up and oof, leave. Mein the, Führer, oof, <laughs> oof. <laughs> mein cool. mein so, uh, so he was a vegetarian. Well, that's, well, well that, of distress. that was how he treated it. So he he had in the early 30s uh, decided he wasn't going to eat ham anymore because it reminded him of rotting corpses, and then he started he started <laughs> he started eating a diet of of boiled and pureed vegetables and then when he started to experience the indigestion no surprise he experienced it his answer was i'm going to give up all meat entirely so yes he did go vegan and i just have to say right now that i i wish this fact was in my mind the other day where and this is true I was in a local coffee shop, a new coffee shop in my Brooklyn neighborhood, and I, I bought a cup of coffee, and I was looking around for milk, and all they had was oat milk and soy milk. So I went to the woman at the front, and I said, oh, I, do you have any whole milk? I don't seem to find any. And she looks at me, and she says, uh, we're vegan here, yeah. and <laughs> I wish I had been able to to be witty enough to have said, ah, just like adolf hitler <laughs> okay but but you, do you the like rules dogs of, too
2: <laughs> but but the, from the rules of the internet and the basically the rules of engagement for society uh you would have immediately lost the argument by bringing up nazis so
0: That's true. That's yeah, true. I'm, you lose you bring up Hitler, you bring up Nazis, you lose. I just yeah. thought um, of that it.
2: Uh,
1: was that commercial for Immodium or where they have that jingo Heartbird? heartburn indigestion diarrhea you know they, they, <laughs> they should just do it with a chorus of nazis with Hitler or with or or set it to wagner <laughs> right of the Valkyries.
3: wagner diarrhea constant cycle I, 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 I literally
2: just saw a chorus of nazis cuz i saw the producers in Aurora with oh. some of our friends oh geez. on, on sunday so i'm so rel- I, i'm I can so relieved the end of that sentence can. ended
0: with when I saw the producers, because I just thought you just saw a chorus of Nazis <laughs> somewhere on the street, like oh god, <laughs> it's the mm-hmm. worst Christmas walk ever. <laughs> I know that was <laughs> terrible. Before I move on from this juvenile topic, though, I would like to see um, a historical footage of Hitler at one of those rallies, and then periodically he just kind of let's 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 lose some uh, some wind. <laughs>
3: Zu Millionen hier vereinigen, um einmal symbolisch zum Ausdruck bringen, dass wir nicht sind Stadt und Land, nicht sind Arbeiter, Angestellte, Handwerker, Bauern, Studenten, Bürger, nicht sind. ...Irgendwelche Anhänger, Irgendwelche Weltanschauungen, ...Sondern dass wir, sind, Angehörige eines Volkes!
1: Now I'm you know okay. why he lost like three three to ten pounds with every speech.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, uh, in the eagle's nest. M- meanwhile, <laughs> in the eagle's nest, <laughs> Hitler must have been pretty desperate because <laughs> they're, they're at uh, the Berg, der Berghof, his alpine, um, his alpine villa that overlooks the the Alps, uh, at a party he met a morbidly obese, sweaty man with chronic halitosis, and just by all accounts, simply unbearable B.O. And it was love at first sight. <laughs> Possibly because this is Are the man. Are you sure
2: Terraro didn't live
0: to be immortal? <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure he didn't, but this was actually uh, Dr. Theodore Morrill. This was their first meeting. And somehow throughout the con- their conversation in this party, who knows how this came up, um, Hitler mentioned his indigestion problems and Dr. Morrill said, ah, mein fuel. I, I have just a treatment for you. I will come by tomorrow and we will start a course of treatment. <laughs> so this is 1936. This is the beginning of their relationship. Morrill, uh, then starts to observe, uh, Hitler over the course of a few weeks and, writes in his diary and, and in his examination reports at the time, and I'm quoting here, this is a direct quote, he writes, uh, The Fuhr exhibits constipations and colossal flatulence occurred, occurred on a scale I have seldom encountered before. <laughs> it's part of the historical record, folks. Yeah. Um, so This the the is part of the historical rectum, folks. <laughs> <laughs> God, he kidding me. Oh boy, this is—I've <laughs> really dragged this down into the gutter. I am sorry, everybody. I can't, I can't. Especially, especially like, you know yeah. what?
2: Yeah, don't be sorry. We're <laughs> doing a thing about the most disgusting people in. Yes, that's true. History. That's true. It let's it roll in it. So, so what's like the pigs. logical
0: treatment for this this indigestion and, and gastrointestinal problems of Diffure's? The, of the you would think it would be to change his diet, but no. Doctor Morrell has a a. Secret medication, or a very special medication, something called Doctor Kusta's anti-gas pills. <laughs> and there are many ingredients in these pills, but but one of the uh, one of the special ingredients was um, was strychnine. <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> yes, strychnine. Um, I really wanted to say Retson. Do you guys remember Retzin from Ceres? Oh, a glistening drop. Yes, with- a glistening <laughs> drop of. <laughs>
2: Oh, I think. The Like Olestra?
0: Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, similar effect. Um, so strychnine was actually in these, these pills. But for whatever reason, maybe it's just a good old placebo effect, Hitler's <laughs> condition actually improves. And from that point on, uh, Morel is never that far uh, from, from Hitler's side. And he's with him for the next nine years until the end of, of Hitler's life. But predictably, the benefits of Dr. Costa's anti-gas pills start to wear off. And then the side effects begin to intensify. And this starts, as it often does, a whole vicious circle of treatments and then new health problems and then counter treatments and more side effects and, and, and all of that. So Hitler begins to complain of grogginess in the morning, you know, feeling a little... Uh, <laughs> no, tw- noted, i n I'm, I'm not I'm not feeling quite myself in the morgan. <laughs> so Morel starts giving him a, a mysterious pill called Vitamortin <laughs> uh, and I always want to say Vitamita Vegemin like the old I love Lucy uh, bit. But. So no one really knows what's in this pill. And there are other doctors, other physicians on Hitler's medical roster. And they're starting to become uh, suspicious and probably a little jealous of this quack who has become Hitler's favorite. So one of these physicians steals a packet of this stuff, takes it down to his own lab and tests it and discovers that vita uh, Vitamultin is a an incredibly strong amphetamine. <laughs> so
2: now so, so John, wait, wait. Are <laughs> you you saying that amphetamines are the key to
0: mortal life? I mean, we're breaking news here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, but, you know, there's Hitler. He's walking around with a new spring in his goose step. Uh, and he is starting to have trouble sleeping at night. So no problem. doctor morell Morrell's got the cure. He starts giving him barbiturates. And then before too long, that's not working anymore. And... Morel starts giving him morphine. and <laughs> Jesus. So the morphine right. leads to, well, as it often does, leads to extreme constipation. So now Morel starts giving him <laughs> more uh, vegetables. Well, it, very powerful laxatives. Which is <laughs> so really it's got, ironic guy, when you think about this where this kinda all like started.
3: A <laughs> Flavor of it.
0: But but Hitler's favorite drug, the thing he truly craved, according to the physician reports at the time, was cocaine. Even though, you know, as my fellow Sherlockians will know, um, that, you know, in the late nineteenth century Sherlock Holmes was fond of his cocaine and his seven percent solution. But by the 1930s, the world had pretty much wised up a bit about cocaine, though it was still sold in Germany in these very low-dose eye drops. So Morel took these eye drops and then basically found a way to uh, multiply their strength by 10 times. So he starts giving Hitler these eye drops, and Hitler's constantly oh, dropping these, these cocaine drops in his eyes, and soon enough that's not enough, and so he just goes straight to snorting crushed cocaine.) <laughs> He gets totally addicted to cocaine and, and really craves the stuff. And by the time of Operation Barbarossa, when that begins, like clockwork every morning after Hitler gets up and has his bowl of watery uh, gruel and slop uh, for breakfast, he calls for Morell. And Morell comes in and gives him a series of injections, pills, and solutions. He is getting around 80 different drugs daily from Dr. Morell. Eventually, this starts to have a noticeable impact on Hitler's appearance and behavior. Surprise, surprise. The strychnine in those Dr. Kustler's anti-gas pills may have been the cause for these attention uh, lapses that he started to suffer from in his later years, and an increasingly uh, yellow-looking skin that he developed, and according to physician, the other uh, physicians' reports, his arm started to look bruised, spotted, pockmarked, like a like your saddest Bowery junkie, basically. And, you know, many historians have attributed Hitler's erratic behavior and and temper tantrums in those final years to those drugs. Uh, There are uh, certain accounts, like his meeting with uh, Mussolini, where he was furious with Mussolini uh, for even bringing up the the notion of of dropping out of the war. And uh, a couple of eyewitnesses reported Hitler just babbling on in this Crazy stream of consciousness in a way that is very characteristic of somebody on uh, an amf- on amphetamines.
1: Mussolini's, I, you, you you would have loved to have been uh, an observer. Flying in that room. the wall for that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this guy is a pazzo Let's get yeah, out yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a meeting. Uh, just to remember. To see you later.
3: Uh-
0: So Hitler's dependency grows, the Nazi leadership started to get concerned, and they actually started, they actually had a nickname for this guy, which was Der Reichmaster of Injections. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And many of these leading Nazis started to, to worry that he was trying to kill the Fuhrer, but Hitler, who was hopelessly hooked, never lost faith in, in Morel. And Morel just absolutely worshipped Hitler as, as a hero. But most embarrassing of all was the likely impact of these drugs on Hitler in the bedroom. Das Schlafzimmer. (laughs) As it turns out, he was having a little trouble getting down with Ava Brown. (laughs) So he goes to Morell for a bit of aphrodisiac assistance. And I just talk about another scene you'd like to be on a fly on the wall for Hitler, this crazy megalomaniac, going to the doctor to admit um, uh, impotence uh, problems, and I just have to imagine him trying to explain this like in in Hitlerian terms, maybe using some World War One imagery, like. Little Corporal Hitler refuses to poke his head above the trench. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the first
0: treatment that Dr. Morel gives him is fairly straightforward. It's just doses of testosterone. Uh, you know, low low T is, is his first uh, his first uh, diagnosis. And up to this point, you know, we've been talking about Hitler being on some fairly run of the mill after-school special style, just-say-no type of drugs. But now we're going to go into the grossest uh, treatment of all. When the testosterone doesn't work, Morel prescribes injections of bull semen. (laughs) Oh God. So Cut out the middle man <laughs> And I just have to ask the question I just have to ask the question What were those trips to the pharmacy like When he went up To the pharmacist And handed him the script And the pharmacist said yeah, so that will just be about 10 to 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think it would... You, you got it perfect. It would sound exactly like that.
0: <laughs> no, you come ba- no, then the pharmacist probably come back and say something like, Well, I'm sorry, but uh, your insurance does not cover the bullseye. Uh, would you be satisfied with the generic kind? <laughs> it's- so anyway, we don't know if this worked or not. I mean, he did go on to... Uh, Mary Ava Brown at the very end but uh, I like to imagine Hitler and Ava Brown sitting in twin outdoor tubs uh, at at the Berghof watching the sun set over an Alpine (laughs) Vista you know if you're gonna have twin outdoor tubs like in those Viagra ads the Berghof is a good place to have it you know. Um, anyway, yeah. and- th- there's a, there's Hitler with his hat on <laughs> <laughs> in the tub. If you're right, more smalls oh. in a thousand years, contact the physician immediately.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, one,
0: one, one more, one more. Hitler throwing a toy Zeppelin through a tire swing. <laughs> so uh, again, all this, apart from the part about the, you know, ridiculous commercials, all this is actually from... Actual first-hand sources, uh, the physicians' uh, records uh, from from the Third Reich. There have been some historians who, um, actually, one in particular whose name I can't remember, um, who wrote a whole book. I think it was it was a German author who wrote a whole book about how influenced the Germans, uh, the, the Nazis were by drugs. So I think takes the whole um, the Third Reich was all explained by drugs thesis a little too far, but. I think there's something there as it relates to Hitler uh, for sure. So, in that light, is Dr. Morell such a bad doctor after all? Hmm? Hmm? (laughs) Hmm?
3: Gotten many clients. Come from miles around. Running down my prescription. got medicine to cure all y'all's ills I got remedies of every description If you got love troubles, you got a bad woman you can't control I got just a thing for you Something called controlling hearts some get-together drops If you work too hard and you need a little rest Buy my easy life rub or put some of my balls fixed jam in your breakfast. Try a little bit. Yeah, now.
2: Hey, now
3: yeah,
2: yeah. I want to talk to you about a man named Terrero. Well, Terre was born into poverty. He was born into Lyon, France, in the late 1700s. And if you've seen any Les Miserables uh, musicals, movies, etc., you know, being a peasant in France was not ideal. But he came with a handicap. He could eat everything and by everything I mean Joy Chestnut eating 72 hot dogs. He could do that no problem and double it and triple it and quadruple it. The guy had a just a sluice for a mouth and could eat everything. Unfortunately. In France, you actually had to grow or raise or buy your own food at that point. So his parents did the logical thing. Uh, his parents kicked him the f- out of the house because they could not feed him. At age 15, he was eating half a cow worth of food a day, and they couldn't support him. Fortunately for Torreira, he found a way to get in with a group of vagabonds, cutthroats, pickpockets, and prostitutes, and was part of a scam to uh, get pickpockets unaware by eating everything, stones, you know, birds, whatever it took. Uh, That worked for a couple years for Torreira. You're, you're probably picturing a porcine, fat-ass kid. Let me disabuse you of that. Torreira was about five foot tall. And about a hundred pounds. He had a mouth about 12 inches wide. And jaws that could hinge up about 10 inches tall that is the only distinguishing characteristics aside from his hanging flesh why did he have hanging flesh (laughs) because he could eat anything and it pushed his flesh out he once took 12 apples and put it in his mouth his cheeks were bulging So, he, he did the, these tricks for a while, but he was a patriotic lad. And when King Louis XVI got overthrown and France was uh, besieged by enemies, he joined the army. And no doubt, because I get paid food for free. When he joined the army, his uh, rations were Clearly not enough. So his commanding officers and his co-army guys <laughs> gave him food, telling him he was on four rations a day, and he would plow through it and still be hungry. It became just a joke. At one point... He got injured. He went to the hospital. When he was in the hospital, he wasn't getting help from all his army friends. And I can't believe he had friends because his smell was so disgusting that vapors seemed to actually come off his head like stink lines. He went to the he went to the hospital and no one thought anything of it until he got really hungry and he went and ate something and what he ate he actually went to the pharmacy broke in and ate every drug they had <laughs> he didn't die but a uh, Baron Percy uh, a, a, a <laughs> A doctor <laughs> decided like what the f is happening with this guy? And, like let's let's find out. So the first test is like, well, what can you eat? And this being not not recently, they gave him a cat. A live cat. <laughs> a not happy cat. He ate that cat. No problem about it. And Baron Percy was like, I found my life calling. (laughs) Studying this incredible gross person. And he was incredibly gross. He was a gross, gross individual. Uh, He was called lethargic. All the time when he wasn't eating, it was probably trying to digest what he had. He was very skinny. Clearly some sort of abnormality that he couldn't, like, process the nutrients, but he would eat a ton of and then he would, within, you know, tens of minutes, probably could hold it a little while, like, just shit it out in the diarrhea <laughs> that uh, the doctor said was I don't this think episode, I have quote, but <laughs> mo- more foul to than you any by smell a. ever. He was amazingly gross. Actually, I have a quote on, uh, direct quote on, uh, the cat just to... You know, <laughs> From the give cat? You, give you some, some <laughs> uh, background. <laughs> he seized a live cat with his teeth and disemboweled it, sucked its blood and ate it, leaving the bare skeleton only. He also ate dogs in the same manner. On one occasion, it was said that he swallowed a living eel without chewing it. clearly had a medical condition and uh polyphagia is probably what he had and there are other sufferers of that it's basically it's a symptom of diabetes but there there could be chronic polyphagia as a a kid A, a guy in kent in 1630 in England had it. And it was called Nicholas Wood, the great eater of Kent. And uh, he was just able to eat a load of stuff. He had a poet that actually contacted him. And he's the reason we know who this guy is. It's like, dude, we can make some money. We can bet, you know, you're going to eat this or you're not gonna eat this. Like, it's a good scam. So he started doing that, and the guy was winning most of them. But unlike Torreira, this guy lost some. I mean, he had to eat like a whole cow and like cast out in the middle of it. <laughs> like of a fucking food coma. I mean, he was no Torreira rare had no f-ing limits on uh, how much he could eat. And oh my God, did he eat? So, here's the problem. Torreyr is in this military hospital. They're, you know, poking prodding him, giving him live heels. And the, the military is like, why the f*** are we putting up this guy? And one, uh brilliant general, and that is Alexandra de Burjanez, decided, you know what, let's put this freak to work. So, he asked him, like, look, this is a small box. A small wooden box. Can you eat this small wooden box with a message in it? It's like, yeah, no problem. So he swallows it And he defecates it later <laughs>
1: And it's a rocking chair
2: With much, <laughs> much plum. Yeah So he, he does this later And they, oh, they, this poor son of a bitch Soldier has to like Dig it out oh. And again um, He shat it out They open it yeah, The paper was okay Right. you're disgusting but you're the disgusting guy we need now in <laughs> France's moment of danger so we're gonna have you swallow this wooden box with a very key critical message to someone that's being held prisoner by Prussia you need to deliver to him. cross enemy lines we're gonna, we're gonna hide you as a Russian peasant. So there, I'm swallowed, and he went across many lines. Let me just sum it up: a uh, incredibly disgusting, smelly person who couldn't speak German. <laughs> They're like, wait! Thought you're one of us until you open your mouth. Is not, is not the best secret spy to get into the Prussian camp because so, immediately they, yeah.
0: they would have known he was French. I mean, just by yeah, exactly. all of those. He, could, he could speak German. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. a smelly person so, doesn't uh, speak German. They, they, I mean, <laughs> no,
2: not at all, not a little bit. they tortured him for a couple days and yeah, he lasted like a day and a half and uh said like no I have an important mission in my butt so they <laughs> they chained him to a uh pot and waited till he shat and how'd you like to be that Prussian soldier digging out the box they dug it out and it didn't say it was it was a test to see if he actually could actually do it. It
0: was there was no message, you
2: know, was no message. <laughs> Not Quite even like, like, like yeah, let <laughs> let us know, let him know that uh, you, you, He gave him to you. Be sure to eat some,
0: your team. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was it was something so just clearly they were testing whether this was possible. So the Prussians, having to wade through what is regarded by every source I've I've looked at as the most foul, awful diarrhea ever to come out of a human being, were clearly angry. So the the uh, commanding general said, "Let's hang this." <laughs> they well, put this him is up on the gallows. Fair, we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> let like this is this is gross. Let's <laughs> put him on the gallows. Let's hang this. F- this is gross. This is stupid. Like, are you kidding me, France? This has to be some sort of like f you, does? So they put him up there. Put the the noose on him. Poor Tarare is up there. His his only crime is. He eats live animals and anything else, rocks, you know, corks, anything he can eat. Like, how did I end up in this sad, sad state? <laughs> and some poor, you know, some someone giving a shit about this poor son of a bitch told the general, like, clearly, this guy is, he had no idea what's going on. He's just some sad freak, you know, he really want to execute a sad freak. General's like, no, yeah, you're right. All right, fine. Let's let him go. But hey, bunch of soldiers there. Make sure you beat them out of him before he leaves. So he had a bunch of soldiers. Just beat the shit out of terre and then like kicked him across the lines. So, like this beaten up, smelly, like waves of filth coming off of his face. He's probably a hungry, Sal. Uh, he he has a clarifying moment, I guess we could say. <laughs> you know what? This army thing, it ain't for me. So we got back and he told the doctor, Baron Percy, you know, can you cure me of this shit? This isn't good. I don't like this. And he's like, okay, let me let me give you
0: the best, the best don't tell, don't tell me sev- Dr. Cooster's anti-gas pills, right? Yeah, this
2: 1795 <laughs> has for you. Yes. Okay. Laudanum, <laughs> tobacco, like more brandy. Nothing worked. And again, he got more and more desperate. And the, like, all the reports are he actually got hungrier as oh, this no. went on. He would go out and just... <clears throat> To eat refuse piles, he would eat anything. He'd eat stones. You know, he just was like fucking stir crazy for eating stuff. Obviously, people listening to the Barstool historian will know that uh, we have iron stomachs and we're not afraid to talk about
0: gross. Oh shit. no! But
2: but this is some gross. <laughs> Brace yourself. Bra- brace yourself. Oh, God. People. Brace yourself. Ready? <laughs> are you ready? John? Tim? Are you ready? Uh-huh. Bundled in. Yep. Uh, okay. All right. I've built it up enough. <laughs> when a 14 month old baby went missing from the hospital. Yes, exactly. When a 14 month old baby went missing from the hospital even percy was like okay this guy's medical he's a f***ing amazing freak but we can't have people eating babies cats dogs <laughs> random s*** is something but babies what the f***? <laughs> and i will hey you know what i'll be devil's advocate there was no proof he actually ate the baby but, you know, <laughs> you have an, a, a, someone that is willing to eat anything in your hospital, and you have a baby in there to see some, you know, like, oh, how's my baby doing? And the next day, like, your baby's totally gone. Yeah, you know, it's France, 17 at this point, 97, you know, probably he ate the baby. Ugh. So, anyway, it is – in. Here, here's the backup that he had no limits. They caught him eating a corpse in the mouth. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. It's not like, you know, not even he would do that. He would eat anything. And he seemed like completely pushed by this urge to eat. <laughs> so, so, anyway, they, they, according to reports, they literally chased him out, beating him. <laughs> Into the streets, because, you know, this guy who, assisted, like, mysteriously escaped getting f***ing hung for being a spy, he deserves another chance in the street. So, oh, so God. So, he's out on the street, and God knows what he did. Four years later, so we're talking, like, 1799, 1798. Don't hold me on these, uh, these dates. Percy gets a, uh... Call the call. He gets, a, he gets a telephone call. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a pigeon from uh, the uh, uh, Versailles Hospital that a patient's been asking for him and needs him there. Goes there, and of course, is Torrey. And Torrey says, You know, I fed up. I ate a golden fork. And oh. I never saw it come out. And I'm really sick. Let's make it clear. the Baron Percy was a real doctor. He was not a, you know, this isn't like the 1400s. He cl- clearly, Terrer had all the symptoms of tuberculosis. So he knew it wasn't a golden fork. Terre died shortly afterwards. Mm. And that's when this goes into hyperdrive. As far as disgusting, oh god! They <laughs> really wanted to. Just this was guy was a medical marvel. No, no one ever had been able to eat like. The multiple witnesses are like, this is, this is, this is impossible. So they um, decided to do an autopsy. And I can clearly say it was the most disgusting autopsy of all time. This team of French doctors did it and said his uh, gullet was something like five times bigger than a regular human. His (laughs) liver was three times bigger His stomach was almost the size of his entire abdominal cavity. Ulcerated everywhere. They wanted to do more stuff. But the stink, like they literally had like an hour that they could take. It was putrefying. As we were cutting it. Uh, Ed, Ed so can, 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 it was can, can I just rotting. break in for,
0: here for a second? I just want to sure. remind listeners, uh, The Barstool Historian is brought to you by HelloFresh. <laughs> HelloFresh Meal Kits.
2: HelloFresh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Subscribe today.
0: Yeah. Use exactly. offer code BSH and get 10% off your first meal kit. Okay, sorry, go ahead, Ed.
2: Do you not want to putrefy from the inside?
0: <laughs> HelloFresh has he covered... <laughs>
2: HelloFresh will not make your liver four <laughs> times bigger than it should be. And if you have a gullet five times more than it can be, HelloFresh has it for you. You can get more than one.
0: All right, But, so, but anyway. See, anyway. seriously,
1: <laughs> though, after you die, the g- gases build up inside your body. So when they cut him open, it must have been like a tight balloon that just emitted a, a stink... A toxic stink
2: into the I, air. I agree, but I would say he had a consistent history of being gross and smelling gross, and smelling just twenty paces away is the closest you could approach him without uh, smelling him. So, and that's when he was healthy. So, God Almighty! In an age when everyone stunk, you know. I know
1: exactly.
2: <laughs> My God everyone like your your best girl probably smelled like Bo your your best bud smelled like Bo and like dude this guy he smells bad I I, bad I, I think to...
0: he could have been one of her housemates in England Tim
2: <laughs> 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 so anyway long story short uh, polylypheria is uh what he had but I'll'll I'll leave you with this his name wasn't actually terra he never actually gave anyone his real name It's because uh, that was his stage name from uh, the traveling bag of vagabonds and prostitutes and pickpockets. Uh, no one knows what his real name was. No one actually has a real like, picture of him. I mean, it was a, a time in French history where there was, I mean, Jesus, they were overthrowing the king and everything. It's like one gross guy could kind of get by. <laughs> without drawing a <laughs> ton of attention, but uh, it, it is apparently uh, the old French saying was Bon, bon Terre" meant like a huge fart. So Terre, he named himself his stage name after a fart, and uh, I think that's pretty much epitomizes him and, and gives
0: him a little. <laughs>
2: A little fellowship with Adolf Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> Based yeah. on
0: oh, <laughs> and John's. W- what a lovable scamp.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, roll it, poly, eating corn and taters, hungry every minute of the day. Roll it, poly, knowing on a biscuit, long as he can chew it, it's okay. He can eat an apple pie and never even bat an eye. He likes everything super fatty. roll it. Daddy's little fatty. Bet he's gonna be a man someday.
1: Well, gentlemen, um, we are an equal opportunity historical expose, and I wanted for our listeners in centuries past. Uh, and in other dimensions that don't believe in equality, as we do here in the 21st century, that a woman can be a monster as well. So I want to tell the story about the Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Uh, on December 29th, 1609, a group of soldiers stormed a Hungarian castle, the castle of Katchike, at the behest of King Matthias of Hungary, and they arrested the notorious Elizabeth or Erzabet, as it was pronounced in Hungarian, uh, who was a notoriously twisted Hungarian aristocrat, sadist, and psychopath who reputedly murdered and tortured up to 650 people, mainly local peasants. As the story goes, the soldiers apparently arrested her in the midst of beating a servant nearly to death next to a corpse that she had just buried. And they found dozens of girls who were either dead or in the process of dying around her when they arrived and the victims were horribly brutalized. It was basically an active crime scene when they barged into the castle. Elizabeth Bathory was born in Hungary in 1560 to a large family estate. It was a Protestant uh, noble family. Uh, Her family controlled Transylvania and her uncle Stephen Bathory was the king of Poland, so she came from great aristocratic stock. And when she was 15, she was married to the Count Ferenc Nadazdi, and together they became serial killers, and they killed mainly peasants in very degrading and uh, psychosexual and sadistic ways. But of course, the work of sadism and murder is too difficult for two aristocrats to perform alone so elizabeth uh employed several accomplices uh including a mysterious nameless old hag uh, actually several old hags <laughs> and a demented we all
2: need a mysterious old hag
1: of course and a, <laughs> a, a, and a demented dwarf named pico
2: um <laughs> uh, <laughs> do, do I have to say they repeated like we all need a demented dwarf in our life yeah.
0: too? Tycho um, Bray would say so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What do
2: you mean? Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, Elizabeth started slow, slowly, as all serial killers do. She, be, you know, some begin with torturing animals. She started with servants, and. Uh, Viewed them mainly as property, as as aristocrats did in those days. And she would torture servants in very, very draconian and and horrific ways. In fact, the the first documented case of sadism uh, is when she burned a peasant girl with a hot iron after she had messed up her laundry. She was, by many accounts, as we've learned through B-horror films and so forth, a classic psychopath, and was born of incest, as families were in those days, particularly aristocratic families. Um, her, She was molested by her aunt, uh, and she channeled that victimization into this insatiable thirst for sexual arousal through torment and torture. As a result of this insatiable sexual ac- appetite, by the way, she had uh, many affairs with many individuals, one notably with a man by the name of Ironhead Steve. I just had to mention that because <laughs> are I... You, are you kidding me? I am I, not kidding. Uh, incidentally. What, what line of
0: work was this Ironhead Steve <laughs> Well, in? I leave it up for you guys
1: uh, to, to, to do so. I, I
2: believe he was in the plowing industry. <laughs> yeah,
1: he plowed around. Um, so, so, so anyway, um, her Aunt Clara, who had raped her and, and molested her as a child, um, was herself... Uh, captured and raped by a Turkish garrison and had her throat cut. That's just sort of footnote. This is the kind of family that we're dealing with. So, into some of the examples of of incidents. One time in Vienna uh, when Elizabeth Bathory was on vacation, she had placed a peasant girl in a steel cage with (laughs) inward-facing spikes. And when she hoisted the cage into the air... Fico or Fico stood under the peasant shouting obscenities I guess that enhanced the whole um, the whole uh, mise-en-scene as they say uh, in, in French film uh, while the, the while the old hag stood by stabbing the girl with a spear so that they could all bathe in the blood of this uh, peasant oh. girl um, and then servants were forced to cook and eat the flesh of this victim oh. So, uh, on several occasions uh, she stripped servants naked uh, and poured water over them and left them in the freezing cold to observe the limits of human suffering. But to the extent that her marriage kept things in check, her husband died uh, while fighting uh, in a far-off war, and that sort of escalated things. If what I haven't Articulated was horrible enough. I'll just list for you some of the crimes that she committed and some of the testimonials that were given. Uh, she kept servants chained up every night and, and bound their hands so tightly that, that their hands turned blue and, and spurted blood. She beat servants to the point uh, where there was so much blood on the walls and beds... That they had to use ashes and cinders to soak it up to, to clean up uh, the floors she burned servants with metal sticks red hot keys and coins ironed the soles of their feet she stitched their lips and tongues together she smeared a girl a naked girl with honey and left her out in the wilderness to be consumed by bees and ants and wasps she forced guests to eat the flesh of uh, victims that that she had, she had murdered. She forced peasants to drink their own urine. The list goes on. She was accused of being a witch, and she was accused of casting a magic spell to summon a cloud filled with ninety cats, who would have been that would have been Tarari's, <laughs> you know, favorite uh, to torment her enemies. Like open my open my mouth and yeah. <laughs> Um, she also stuffed five peasants' corpses underneath a bed, and continued to, when they were alive, uh, she fed them to death. Somehow, I don't know how that happened. Um, so, so you get the picture. Uh, she was. Tarar
2: doesn't know either. <laughs> He's like, give me more.
1: And her career went on for years, but uh, it got a little sloppy. She ran out of peasants to kill, and she ran out of places to hide them. And she killed at an ever-increasing rate. So she would throw corpses over walls, dump them in, in, in cemeteries, gardens, and rivers. Um, and when she started to run out of victims, she attacked and killed a Hungarian noblewoman. And that is what prompted what appears to be, by our standards, a modern investigation. And the reason that I have all of these specific uh <laughs> recollections is because King Matthias had ordered an investigation uh, to be conducted by Elizabeth's cousin and he took over 300 depositions so these are actual uh stories that were recounted by by eyewitnesses and and servants in the castle uh what I've just read you
2: yeah tim like to don't say there's no checks and balances. I mean, they leaped into action the moment a noblewoman exactly. got eaten. <laughs> that,
1: that's exactly it. Uh, so, so there were there were a litany of charges. She was, uh, a, as I began the tale, she was arrested. Her servants were also arrested. Her accomplices, the old hag Fico, the dwarf, um, and they were decapitated and thrown into a fire. She was immured, which is being bricked up in a room uh, in her own castle where she she died four years later. I don't know how she survived that long. But um, that is the story of a woman who came to be known as the Blood Countess, which is a tale of essentially all of the morbid, sadistic, ghoulish things. It's a collage of all those things that we've come to know in horror films, and she was uh, actually one of the inspirations for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, so, one can't be a reputed serial killer of this note without inspiring a litany of horror films, and I'll read uh, a description <laughs> of some of my favorites, and this, this is coming from line.com. Uh, to give attribution to the website that had the mind to do this, um, so uh, the first one, Chastity Bites, is described as a modern-day California Liz Batho, uh, inspired by our our friend here Elizabeth Bathory, runs an abstinence program in a local high school. Her <laughs> quote-unquote virginity <laughs> virginity action group. Uh, is kept well supplied with the uh, virgin blood of, of local high school girls.
2: These are. So needs action. The, the,
1: yeah, these are uh, sexploitation films and, you know, be horror films. Immortal Tales, which is basically a, a porn flick, uh, is notable because the woman who plays Elizabeth Bathory is Pablo Picasso's daughter. Uh, Paloma oh. Picasso. <laughs> he must be so proud. Um, Damn, uh, Countess Dracula, which is which, him.
2: Him knowing, to knowing
0: him, he probably would be.
1: Which, which is of course um, about Dracula only a woman, and that's also uh, reputedly a pornographic film. Um, Mama Dracula, which is one of my favorites. (laughs) Uh, This is described as times are tough for those who need virgin blood to stay young and alive. But Mama Dracula keeps on trucking. In 1980, (laughs) the bathery inspired Mama is having trouble finding enough virgins to keep herself around. This weird 1980 flick is worth checking out. And John and I, uh, uh, John looked this up on YouTube, and I invite everyone... For a Uh, tremendous laugh
3: In the show
0: notes, folks I'll put it in the show notes To to please look (laughs) at this
3: This painting, the work of celebrated Austro-Hungarian artist Olajlo Turocci, Hangs today in the museum at Kiev The features it portrays Are those of Countess Dracula In this period, the Countess held sway Over all the provinces of Transylvania Not only was she beautiful, rich, and powerful, she was also unspeakably cruel. Most notorious of her misdeeds was her custom of taking baths of blood. Today, the bloody Countess lives still and continues to pursue her evil destiny.
1: And then here's one of the, the my favorite, but uh, terribly uh, peculiar. Uh, this film is called The Night of the Werewolf, which <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It, it's called actually The Return of the Werewolf in its original Spanish. Um, th- <laughs> it's, it's, this is a long running series about werewolf count Waldemar Daninsky, and features the Wolfman and Elizabeth Bathery consigned to execution uh, together for their crimes. And since the two are nearly impossible to kill, they find themselves entrapped in a terrifying and intense battle. Uh, that one <laughs> that one, I really want to check out. So so oh. that, that is the story of the Blood Countess. Uh,
0: I, I would say uh, worst Disney princess ever. <laughs>
3: Echoed voices
0: Well, folks, that wraps up easily the most disgusting episode of this show ever. And you know, I never thought we would ever top the the <laughs> the absolute vile depths of the disease episode. But but we have done that. We have done that ten times over. I think in I think this episode. So, so um, yeah, can I, could, John? Can I say something? Go ahead.
2: There's a difference between. Um, Really, really crazy, awesome people like Lord Timothy Dexter, the patron saint of our whole podcast. Yeah, pickle for the and annoying ones. vile ass people like we've been describing, and uh, being a no, <laughs> being a pickle for the annoying one is different than um, eating live babies. So,
0: so are you oops. saying I should not be making Tarare t-shirts to sell on the site? Uh, I'm not saying that because right. I'm gritty. Well, I do think a Dr. Cooster's anti-gas pills uh, logo T-shirt would be would be kind of cool. Oh, that would you be don't fast. want Nazi related now, now mitz-strychnine sp- stuff? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now
2: with more things that could kill Hitler. Yeah, like, yay!
1: Let's do that.
0: Uh, I get all more right. Kick well,
1: from cocaine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i get nine kick mit
2: cocker <laughs> myth and don't kill me at all i need some more <laughs> 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 oh.
0: <sighs> well this show started off uh, or at least our, our call tonight just started off with a discussion of a chorus of singing nazis and now we've come kind of full circle around to um uh, adolf hitler singing cole porter so that's that's kind of nice yeah um yeah. so with that everybody um
2: go see the producers go see the
0: producers, see the producers. <laughs> where the paramount art center in aurora illinois i'm guessing
2: yeah paramount Theater. paramount art center
0: yeah. wonderful place it's uh, one of the yeah, treasures was, of the fox valley um, it was
2: actually uh, a nice time
0: they did i it's a great place i haven't been in 20 some odd years but, uh, but go check it out folks anyway this is john in new york with tim And Ed over there in Geneva, Illinois, Um, I must remind you, as I almost always forget, that you can follow us on the social media uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash barstoolhistorian or on Twitter at, appropriately enough, the B.S. Historian. We are also now available on several platforms, Stitcher. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, of course, a couple of, you know, no name podcast services that I don't even remember the names of, and of course, always barstoolhistorian.com. So, from me, John, and everybody else, Tim and Ed, bye bye. Bye bye.
2: Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: <laughs>
2: and. BRUH!
3: AHH! BRUH! That's awful.